Welcome to the Dollars and Cents Radio Show with your host, accountant and author Carol Topp, the homeschool CPA. Carol takes confusing topics such as money and business and puts them into clear English. She's ready to share her knowledge with you on today's show. Well, hello everyone. This is Carol Topp from homeschoolcpa.com back with another episode of the Dollars and Cents Show for Homeschool Leaders. And we are finishing up a four-part podcast series for tiny homeschool groups. Tiny being small groups of uh, maybe less than 20 families, typically all volunteer. Uh, Usually your annual intake is less than $5,000 a year in terms of revenues. So in the previous episodes, we talked about are you a nonprofit or not? Uh, Do you need to file anything with any government agencies? Uh, Do you have to pay taxes? And in this episode, I'm going to talk about setting up a bank account or do you even need a bank account if you're so tiny? So I have been helping homeschool leaders for 15 years now. Homeschool CPA is about 15 years old. I've been a CPA for 20 years this month um, in 2019. And I have talked to all kinds of homeschool groups uh, and all kinds of nonprofits, small, medium, and large. And some of them try to operate without a bank account, without a checking account. Uh, they try to keep things all in cash. And they're, you know, as a CPA, I'm kind of bothered by that. All right. But I understand it. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about the pros and cons of operating in cash and without a checking account. Okay, so the advantage is you avoid setting up a checking account because in order to set up a checking account, it used to be you could just walk in the bank and set up a checking account and they would get an employer identification number for you and it was relatively easy and not anymore. (laughs) There's increased regulations on banks, increased paperwork. I went to set up a bank account for um, a nonprofit that I'm the treasurer of and I was there an hour and a half, ladies and gentlemen. Oof. I went to a credit union, did everything uh, by mail or online or email, and I had like just a 15-minute visit with them. But anyway, it usually takes a visit to a bank. And you have to be organized, you know. You have to bring in a certain amounts of paper and um, that EIN number from the IRS, which means you have to pick a name and you have to put down someone's name to be a board. And, and so it takes some structure in place before you even open a checking account. So... That was the disadvantage of opening a checking account, the paperwork, the time, the organization involved. And so the advantage is you avoid all that by operating in cash. But of course, the big disadvantage of operating in cash, and therefore the advantage of having a checking account, is security and safety of the money. You know, carrying around cash means that there's a risk you can lose it, and there's a big risk it can be stolen. So I talked to one homeschool group, and they were not, they were pushing the edges of being tiny. Let me put it that way. They, their annual revenue was $4,000 a year. And they brought it all in typically at the beginning of the year for like, you know, whatever they were doing, membership fees, co-op classes. I suppose during the year they brought in more money for events and parties and field trips. And, and a lot of things were managed just by individuals. Like if you wanted to organize a field trip, then you go collected the money and paid the field trip venue. So a lot of it didn't run through the cash box. But this treasurer was walking around the homeschool day, co-op day or whatever they ran, with a, a box full of the cash. And she said at one point there was $4,000 in cash in that box. And she had to keep it on her person the whole day. Well, 
that's just not safe, is it, ladies and gentlemen? And I said, just go open a checking account. It's not that bad, not that hard. They were like, oh, we don't want to have to get all this paperwork from the IRS. It's not all this paperwork, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so let me talk to you about the steps that you need to take before opening a checking account. And that is, basically, you need to have listen to my first podcast about are we a nonprofit? And what makes you a nonprofit is having a board, at least three people who agree that they are the leaders and will run this group. And then you need some formation document. That's typically your bylaws. You can find sample bylaws over at homeschoolcpa.com slash samples. That's what makes you a nonprofit, a board and bylaws. A lot of uh, tiny organizations that want to stay as unincorporated associations also draft what are called articles of association. They're a little different from the bylaws. You can find samples over at uh, my website, Homeschool CPA, again. So take a look at those, but that could be your formation document. You you all sign it. The three of you who, who are agreeing to be leaders sign it. And that's one document you will take to the bank and say, we're a new nonprofit, we want to open a nonprofit checking account. The second document you will take to the bank is something you get from the IRS, and it is called your employer identification number, your EIN. It's like a social security number for a business, or in this case, your case, a nonprofit organization. They are free. You get them at irs.gov. If you want some information on how to apply for your EIN, my book, Money Management in a Homeschool Organization, discusses it. also discusses a lot of uh, helpful information about managing the money, checking accounts, things like that. Or you can just go to irs.gov and put EIN in the search box. Or you can look at the application form called the SS-4. Now, you apply online. So, uh, but it, it helps to look at what kind of questions they're going to ask you before you hop online. But you get the employer identification number instantly and, you know, uh, then you get mailed a letter later. So take that EIN number, that letter or a printout from the computer to the bank along with your bylaws and or your articles of association and open up a checking account. A couple, couple tips, make sure you consider carefully your name. You might even want to do a search on your state secretary of state's office where they list the names of businesses to make sure you're not using a name that someone else has used. Um, You can also do a search on the IRS tax-exempt organization website. Google that. You'll find it. And make sure no one in your state has already chosen your name so you're not confusing the IRS or your state government. So picking your name is kind of important, and that should be a board vote. So there you need a board for that. Drafting those bylaws and those articles of association need a board vote. Those are the first things you'll probably do as a board. So take those two documents, go open up a checking account. You know, deposit the cash you've collected, or sometimes some tinies don't need cash, need need money right away, and don't, you know, have any dues or anything from their members yet. So sometimes the board members will each put in a little bit of a donation, and they can, or a loan. They can either be paid that, or they can say, pay back when there is money, or they can say, no, we're just going to donate that as our donation to the startup of the group. But that's typically how nonprofits start, especially the tinies with uh, basically the board putting in the seed money or the first money in the checking account. Um, Now, it used to be that a lot of, I heard from a lot of homeschool group leaders who were opening up checking accounts 
in their own name because that seemed easiest. <laughs> or the treasurer would go to the bank and say, I need to open up a checking account. And um, she would just put it under her name and social security number. Or maybe on the check, she would put the name of the co-op. But she was considered the owner of the account because that was just easier to deal with opening up a personal account. Well, I don't hear about that happening so much anymore. Maybe I finally got through because I kept telling people, don't do that. Don't have your checking account in the personal name and social security number of one of your board members. Two big reasons. One is, first of all, it's not her money. All right? If it's in her name, it's her money, which means she can steal it and take it from you. Hopefully she never would. But it also looks like it's her money in the eyes of the IRS. So she looks like, to the IRS, like she's been running a business. And she's supposed to be reporting that on her tax return. Well, she doesn't want that. So those are two reasons why you do not want the your organization's money in the name of a, a person, an individual, the, you know, like the treasurer or her Social Security number. If you don't know, call your bank and say, um, is this in the name of someone's social security number or is it in the name of our organization with our employer identification number? And by the way, what is our employer identification number? <laughs> if you don't know it, write it down. Um, see if you can find in your old paperwork where someone might have applied. A lot of times banks used to apply for you and so you never even got the official letter from the IRS to know what date it came or what you told the IRS your name was. You can call the IRS, but they're sometimes reluctant to tell you if you're not the person who originally filed. So when you get that EIN letter from the IRS, ladies and gentlemen, make 50 copies of it. No, make 10 copies of it. Laminate one. Keep Pass it down to your next board members. Put one in a digital file box and pass that down. That is a very important document. All right? It is your identity with the IRS, your first identity with them. So pass that down. But anyway, call the bank. How to know if it's in someone's social security number. You know what social security number looks like. Three digits, dash, two digits, dash, four digits. An EIN number is two digits, a dash, followed by seven. All right? So it looks different. You want your organization's checking account to be in the name of the organization and have an EIN number. All right. You may have to change who the authorized signers are. The bank can help you do that. You know, again, it'll take a visit with probably both the old person and the new person. Uh, take the old person off, put the new person on. I just did that for an organization where I agreed to be their treasurer. And uh, we were we were at the bank for a long time, over an hour. Well, we were taking one person off and two, putting two people on. So it was a little confusing. And took a lot of paperwork on the behalf of the bank. So... Manage your money well is <laughs> my bottom line. Don't keep it in a personal checking account. Don't keep it in cash. Go get a checking account. Now, people will say to me, but Carol, if I get an EIN number, does that put me on the IRS radar? Are we going to have to do all sorts of IRS reporting? Well, go listen to episode number 177 of this podcast over at homeschoolcpa.com slash podcast where I talk about uh, do we need to pay taxes or the one before that, number 176, do we need to file anything? Chances are, well, yes, you are on the government radar and yes, there might be something to file, but don't worry, it's not that bad, okay? I talked in episode number 177 about the uh, annual information return, the 990N, the electronic postcard. It'll take you five or ten minutes once a year. 
the reporting's not that bad, is what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen. For you, for you to go get an EIN, to declare self-declare tax exempt status, and keep up with it with the IRS is not that bad. And then you're being good managers and good stewards of your money by having it safe in a checking account. You've got the bank statement so people can hop on and see where it goes. Good accountability. Definitely lessen the risk of it being stolen or being lost, which happens when you have cash. I have a book called Money Management in a Homeschool Organization. I mentioned it a little bit earlier. I think you might find that very helpful, even if you are a tiny. Uh, good practices now when you're small. Um, will be just invaluable if your group does grow, but it's also very good habits for you to form that people who follow you will copy, all right? They will imitate your good practices if you put them in place now. And, uh, you know, as, as leaders, as homeschool leaders, we want to operate in a decently and uh, orderly fashion. We want to be a good reflection of homeschooling to our community to the parents involved, be good stewards of the, of the money. It's called your fiduciary responsibility. Someone's entrusted you with their money to run a homeschool program. You need to do it and do it well. Well, I've been here for a long time trying to help you do that and uh, still want to try to help homeschool leaders like you be successful, even if you're running a tiny organization. It's really important that you know you do it, you do it well because I know you can, because you're homeschool mom <laughs> and you're homeschool leaders. So hope this has been helpful. Take care, everybody. We'll continue with the podcasts in the future to bring you more helpful information as you lead your homeschool groups. Thank you for joining the Dollars and Cents Radio Show with Carol Top here at the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. For more helpful information, visit Carol at her website, homeschoolcpa.com.